Welcome to The Whole Truth, where two wholesalers help financial professionals build great practices and thrive in a rapidly changing industry. We'll bring you the stories and voices from those on the front lines of this change, and we'll have some fun along the way. This is more than a podcast. We're building a community of financial professionals who are growing, forward-thinking, and want to get better. Thanks for listening and contributing to the discussion. The views expressed herein are those of the participants and not those of Touchstone Investments. And welcome, everybody, to The Whole Truth from the Bay Area, California. I am Steve Side. And from an undisclosed bunker somewhere in the continental United States, I am Kurt Dupuy. It kind of looks, though, the same as... as when I always talk to you, well, but don't you tell design your you design your bunker the exact same way. I'm trying to create a level of intrigue here. So we got a cool one today. Um, Dan Sullivan is on the show. Dan hosts a podcast called Internal Use Only, which Kurt loves that name. Love the name. Love the name. So Dan is a former wholesaler that started his own podcast, and he's talking to a lot of folks in our industry. Reached out to us, heard our show, uh, similar number of episodes, similar following. And so we're, we're having kind of a crossover show today, which is really, really fun. And the premise of the episode is this. Uh, we wanted to reflect, since we have three folks who have done the job wholesaling, you know, what are some good questions that you should be asking wholesalers? Our guidance on this is pretty straightforward. You should narrow down the list of, of firms that you work with, and then you should maximize those relationships. And so we said, okay, if we can come together and talk a little bit about how to maximize, what are the questions to ask, that's probably something that's useful. And as you would expect, when a few wholesalers get together, we you know we traded a couple of war stories. If at any point, if it kind of sounds like we are complaining about our job, just know this is, it's the same as when financial professionals get together to talk about, you know, office stuff and whatever. So there's a little bit of that kind of noodling, but the takeaway here is these are the questions you should be asking the, the wholesalers with which you work. Right. And that, that's the, that's the very key point there is there's a solution here. Sometimes when, when I go into an office um, to meet with somebody, if the conversation stalls, it's not you know, that they're like wanting to have a bad meeting. No one wants to have a bad meeting. It's just like the interaction is not going well. The right questions aren't being asked. And so, you know, if we can help that in any way, uh, it benefits everybody. That's right. We're, we're approaching this from kind of the golden rule or by putting the shoe on the other foot. Like if if we were financial professionals, what would we want to know? And these are the questions that that we would be asking to ourselves if the shoe were on the other foot. So we'll get into our interview in a second. Make sure that you subscribe to the podcast, smash that subscribe button, share this with some folks in your office or in your sphere of influence. We'd always appreciate that. And without further ado, here's our interview with Dan Sullivan. And welcome, everybody. So we usually welcome our guests, but we're doing a, a cross. What did we call it, Dan Sullivan? What did we? What is this type of Mash episode up? called? Mash cross Chris promoted cross. episode. I don't know if there's a specific term in the podcasting industry for it, but maybe we'll go with a yeah. cross promoted episode. Cross promoted. There you go. So we've got two shows coming together, which Dan Sullivan does internal use only. Kurt Dupuy and I, my name is Steve Side. I should probably introduce myself, uh, do the whole truth uh, for financial professionals. And we've connected and we want to do a show that we think will resonate with both audiences. And and we're really, really excited to have you on. I've been spending some time with your show. Uh, just love with you, what you do. So maybe we'll start with an overview of your show first that you can share for our audience. 
Yeah, definitely. And, and thank you so much for having me. As, as you had alluded to, my name is Dan Sullivan. I'm the host, producer, editor, all things considered Everything. for the podcast yeah. internal use only. So it's been an incredibly fun project. We just celebrated our 25th episode. And uh, to celebrate, I ended up doing more of an introductory show called the Q1 Fact Sheet Commentary and Market Outlook. So if anyone hasn't checked out the show, that could be a good introduction. It's only 15 minutes. But our goal is to profile and feature the characters in the financial services world, their experiences and insights. So the origin story really started back to when I was an internal wholesaler at various asset management firms where the people and the experiences and the highlights were too incredible to not profile or to not share with the universe. So after a couple of years of vetting it out, thinking about the show, the topics and the guests, um, we've been able to have what I think has been a quietly successful show and we're just taking off. So I'm, I'm really appreciative of you joining me. I've been a huge fan of what you two are up to, and I'm excited to be speaking with some other podcasters who are hoping to bring some maybe levity and good information out to the financial services world, too. I am so jealous of the name. I mean, oh, ours, ours uh, is fine. I'm, I'm okay with it, but internal use, oh my goodness. So if good. I, if I could steal that. Um, but well done there. Love it. I'll, I'll yeah. try to slap a, a, a copyright on it, but it was- it, You should. What I'm trying to get at is kind of the nods to the industry, the lifestyle that exists for financial services, I think is pretty similar no matter what role you're in, whether you're a financial advisor, a wholesaler, analyst, consultants, RIA staffers, you know, it's kind of all similar. So I really wanted to bring that nod to the industry where you get that email or you send something out to your team and you have to label it bold red or, you know, highlighted like internal <laughs> use only. The They're automatic yeah, just, now. Yeah. So that's kind of where the name came from. That's terrific. So talk about who's your audience and who are the types of guests that you have on your show? So we have, as part of this Q1 fact sheet that I put out, I, I broke this down by like sector exposure. So if, if I'm acting like a portfolio manager, so I guess we have an overweight in wholesalers. So a little bit different in the fact that we are trying to bring on <laughs> wholesalers to the show. And about 35% of my guests have been wholesalers. So practicing wholesalers or retired wholesalers. Another, let's say 30-ish or so have been service providers. So those that have worked in some capacity or directly work with wholesalers. So think of individuals that would go to like a national sales meeting or do sales coaching or training for any external internal wholesalers. 25% of them are about service providers. So those that actually sell products and services to wholesalers. So think, uh, groups like Charts, they came on, did a phenomenal episode with uh, Dave Lubnick, just a guy who, if you don't know him, you should know, and their products are great. And then uh, a relative underweight, and a good reason why I think our portfolios or podcasts complement each other is because 10% of my uh, guests have been advisors. There's no framework or parameters. It's really just focused on people with really interesting background stories or experiences in the financial services world. That's great. It's kind of peeling back the curtain of financial services, right? And talk about the underpinnings of, of those internal use emails and those internal goings on of financial services generally. Exactly. Primarily, a lot of the communication is it's, it's very subject matter expert heavy, which is awesome. Like you think of shows like Ted Seides and Capital Allocators or Masters in Business with Barry Ritholtz, like they get just the big heavy hitters in financial services that have very amazing and polished stories. I think what we're trying to capture is the in-betweens, the, the more nuanced stories or like how did random people find their way into the industry and what shaped your life the most because you're in this type of industry. So all of those stories and questions are what we try to uncover with our guests. 
That's terrific. The reason that this was really interesting, we thought, for our audience is I've personally been surprised how much financial professionals who are our audience, and we'll get to our show in a second, are interested in what goes on on the wholesale side of the world. Oh, yeah. like, they're generally interested, which surprised me. Like Some people don't care, but a lot of people actually really care. Like This wholesaler changed firms. How do you guys think about this? They are generally interested in it. So we thought having you on and, and introducing your show would be, a, would be a really good thing for our audience. I'm happy to do it. I don't necessarily want to have the uh, representation of the entire wholesaling world on my shoulders, <laughs> but if we can help bridge the gap yeah. and if we can bring some education and information out to these mutual audiences, I honestly think that that's a huge win-win. You referenced your most recent episode that you came out, which I, I enjoyed tremendously about you presenting the show as a fact sheet and talking about your underweights and overweights, which is just hilarious. And you mentioned something that really stuck out to me, and maybe it's because we're in a similar situation, how you are a top quartile show or a top 25% show. What did you mean by that? So toot your own horn a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'll caveat this that I did. Uh, I added a disclaimer to that, which is just like any financial wholesaler out there, when they want to put together their performance chart, they're going to try to find a graph that shows their line going up to the top right. <laughs> but um, but yeah, no, I, the... The podcast hosting sites that collect data across like the entirety of the podcast universe, they have certain deciles or quartiles based on like average downloads, number of episodes and things like that. And as the show started to gain more traction, I was pleasantly surprised to find out just after like a quick search on my host site, what are successful podcast episodes that based on the number of downloads we're getting, we do fall into that top 25% category, which you don't really think about too much. And, and right. honestly... Um, it's probably a fact that there's a lot of bad podcasts out there or that there's so many podcasts out there that just don't keep on going. It's nice to see that, that proof of concept has landed. It is nice to, to see that there actually is some tangible traction from the metrics of the show. So to that point, I remember a conversation we had with Jared Morris where, do you remember what those numbers were aside? It was like 90% of podcasts don't get to 10 episodes. So just like putting your head down and keep going, like you're going to get traction because people get more eyeballs people on it and it'll be successful. Yep. Yeah, totally. I need to get your origin story as well. I've, <laughs> I've enjoyed following it too. I think you're almost, you're pushing 40. Are you past 40 episodes now? Tuesday will be, well, I'm dating this show because it'll come out way after I'm saying this. But as, a, as we sit here in April, the middle of April 2022, we have our 40th episode out this this upcoming Tuesday. So uh, congratulations. Really Thanks, man. We're really proud. And you you just crossed what you, you're, you're at 25 or you yeah, 25 that have been released. Nice to hit 25. Um, keep going. And even though it takes some time, as I'm sure you're you're aware of, it's it's been great. The people that occupy these roles are yes. second to none. And the fact that I've been able to speak with so many of them is truly, a, truly a privilege. There, there's this whole ecosystem that you don't even know about until you get into it that, that you're made aware of. Um, and they're like very high quality people, very high quality conversations. That's, that's what we found. It sounds like you're similar. Yeah, definitely. Besides just looking for 30 minutes with Mark Cuban, but we haven't been able to get that. <laughs> he won't respond to me. Mark, um, if you hear this. <laughs> what have you learned through this adventure through this exercise of doing the podcast 25 episodes in? That's a great question. One question that I ask almost all of my guests is how did they originally get into the industry? And I ask them to tell their story. And there's no, there's nothing that I can particularly distill from that besides the fact that there is absolutely no cookie cutter way for anybody to get into the industry. And I'm, I'm talking like 
how they were introduced to the industry, how they found out about it, what stage of their life they ended up becoming either a wholesaler or financial advisor. So hearing those stories is is super interesting. Um, outside of that, I would generally say that from some of the interactions that we've had and the stories that have been told, you cannot make up all of these things that have happened. So those have been how people get into the industry and the stories only because in the day of your, like in your job, you're just traveling and moving around. What's been educational for the practitioner side of things is the best wholesalers have a very clear process. It can take many, many different shapes. I don't think this is anything new. I'm sure every divisional manager out there has, has said that. But hearing some people tell me that in their own words and not in a way that's like puffed up like they're at their national sales meeting has been really cool. Hmm. Um, and then outside of that, as far as interactions between advisors and wholesalers, which I think is an element that we're going to chat about more. But from the guests that I've gotten brought on, I, I think it's a really easy way f- to figure out how each advisor prefers to work with wholesalers. And for anyone who listens to those episodes are going to get that information for free without having to bother anybody. So I think that's definitely interesting. But one, one quote that was hilarious from one of the uh, an advisors that came on, he's a LPL rep up here in New England. His quote was so assertive and he was like, the only thing that has ever changed about wholesalers is the booth that they're sitting behind at the events. <laughs> and, you know, it was just like his way of just saying like nothing in 30 years of me being an advisor, like nothing has changed just besides like the product that someone's selling. So that was wow. just his particular take, right? It's just yeah. his take. And we know our, the, the advisors tuning in, we all love you. We, you can be opinionated and that's okay. So he, that was just his thought. Um, yeah. And, you know, another, another woman, Christina Zins, who's a little bit younger, she just made it, she shared that they consciously limit their fun families and who they try to reach out to. So just some interesting ways that you can just pick up from the people who are sharing how they operate. Um, so I, I didn't necessarily give anybody here, I think, life dropping knowledge with my commentary, but those were just some of the, the nuances that I've picked up throughout the 25 episodes that I've done so far. That's great. Can I ask you a question? I, I I feel like this is happening in our industry, but it could just be happening with me and the people that I just talk with. Um, it does seem to me that we're having a discussion about what the next generation of wholesaler looks like. Would you agree with that? You know, it's not to say that, you know, an, a quote unquote old school wholesaler can't survive or run a great business, but it does seem like that there's change on what what the next generation of wholesalers would you agree with that disagree with that that's 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 what i spend a lot of time thinking about absolutely things are changing in the sense of communication and information flow and how people choose to interact professionally i think that those two things are like absolutely changing what i don't necessarily agree with is that i think what makes a successful salesperson doesn't really ever change that much it just might take a different form we're just all trying to figure out collectively the best way to like progress and serve given the tools and resources that we have. I think we, we just covered it before, but you're, you're soon to be celebrating your 40th episode, which is fantastic. And I wanted to congratulate you on the show's success and the visibility. It's, it's been incredible to follow. So I did want to just ask the two of you, what's your origin story? How did you first think to do a podcast episode? We had this internal group that was loosely called some sort of mastermind group where we would talk about something that is very near and dear to the the touchstonian process, which is practice management. 
So just developing, you know, new tools, new ideas of just kind of continuing to press the envelope for what our clientele would would find valuable. That was a great group, great discussion point. But Side and I found ourselves talking offline individually a lot. And it's like, well, so somebody said this, but I really think this, we could go this direction. So it was just kind of additional banter to this group. And then, uh, and, and Side called me one day and was like, hey, like, you know, all these conversations that we're having, what if we, what if we start a podcast? And the, a, a very strong driving emotion for me has always been when you're kind of on that, that cusp of your comfort zone. And I remember like that tingly excitement yet nervousness when he said that, because we're both to, to use Colby language, which we're mildly obsessed with, we, we're both initiating uh, quick starts. So we like brainstorming. We like kind of talking out loud too. And so he said that I was like, this is a genius idea. So then we start strategizing. How do we pitch this to the president, which was the easiest pitch in the world. It took less than 60 seconds. Um, and here we are two years later, 40 something episodes in. That's great. Yeah. So when, when that initial pitch went through, was there any, were there any barriers or did it just go through like pitch was so good that all of a sudden they just gave you the okay and you just went with it? No, I mean, we, we had manufactured an episode um, ourselves. Uh, I don't know how many intro songs side downloaded. <laughs> trying to. Right, I was going to say, I, I, see Steve, uh, I see Steve chuckling over there. So there had to have been some kind of effort put into that. And, and it was not great, but we were prepared to say, hey, here's the idea. Here's what it could look like in, in real time. I, I, we didn't even get to showing him what the episode was. He was just like, I love this. This is where we want to go. I, you guys are great people to do it. And let's go. And so it, it might have been, it really was less than 60 seconds, right, Side? The reason it was so quick is because it was so core to, you know, where we're heading as a firm strategically. What we want our wholesalers to be able to deliver is 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 different than than not, that is necessarily the case at some other firms. It's just we, we have a track we're going down um, and this fit in with that track. Just some other things I would share. One, you use the term uh, community-based show in one of your episodes. I think it was that fact sheet episode. I would describe us exactly the same way. We want a group that listens and engages to us. It's awesome that we're getting these volume of listeners, but that's not how we judge success. We judge success on people that contribute, engage, drive the show, participate. Like yours, again, this is why I'm attracted to your show. Uh, I find yours to be impactful, but also listenable. You know, we want something that's funny, but not, you know, so silly that it doesn't, that it just wastes people's time. Right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, there's, there's a yeah. difference. There's a huge difference between, and I'll, I'll just reference like other entities that are out there. So like, I would say what Barstool Sports has done for like content and media is one extreme where it's completely like, juvenile almost, but it's for content purposes. And right. then there's like incredibly formal, overly like polished on the other yeah, side. Yeah, yeah. Like overly polished <laughs> scripted. Yeah. And I've like somewhere in between, I just feel like people enjoy that. And I appreciate you sharing that. I've, I've felt similarly with yours is where you just like, you want to tune in, especially financial professionals that are traveling or that are on the road. Yes. It's, it's, it's really unique that this format allows you to potentially like introduce somebody who I think could be accessible to that community, if that makes sense. So if you hear someone on a podcast, whether it's your show, like even a, a guest that you had brought on recently, and I'm, I'm going to forget the individual's name, but it, he had a lot of information about like monetizing side projects. And I, I checked out some of his content and it was like library of stuff. And I'm like, this is awesome that I was able to see this information because of an episode that you two had hosted. So love that we're doing that. And yes, it is. It's, it's like for the community and perhaps in our world, that's easier to define. 
because we we know exactly the types of audiences that we're targeting and the subject matters that would be interesting and fun, whether it's super serious or whether it's more lighthearted in nature. Yeah. And if you compare it to even, you know, the other podcasts that are in the industry, and there certainly aren't many that are driven by wholesalers the way that this is. Um, but, but um, you know, it's going to end up being the serious stuff. It's going to be the investment stuff. And so if you could just make it a little bit more fun, I think you can, you can get an audience. The last thing I would say about our show, um, which we've talked about a few different times here, is how it's become very much guest driven. I, I don't know that we, we knew we would have guests, but I don't know we knew it was going to be like this. And if I could no. sort of just break us down into a couple of different, you know, topic areas just so people can conceptualize. Yeah, you um, stole my thunder. I was going to make sure I asked yeah. you about that because I, yeah. I, I've loved the I've loved the guests and the show episode. So yeah, target guests, yeah. subjects that not maybe not only subjects that you covered, but any subjects that you're like really interested in chatting about. Maybe there's anyone listening to both of these that could uh, suggest some folks on specific topics. Exactly. Yeah, we love we love recommendations and hey, check out this person. So the first big bucket I'd say broadly is practice, I mean, practice management, which is what the whole show is based on. But within that, you know, so within that, we get a lot of coaches that are on there and we're really picky about the coaches that we get on there because, um, you know, there's a lot of good ones, but we want the elite ones. And so some of the things there, it's like client service and engagement, marketing, business development, just general overall efficiency. And so a couple of names I'd highlight there, you know, Penny Phillips, who's well known in the industry. We just had Liz Stiles, who heads practice management at Raymond James. Like those are I'm leaving people out. So please understand these are just examples, but, you know, really great people like that. We do have the FA stories that are on there. Um, you mentioned the, the guy who you're talking about was Lee Michael Murphy. He had started his own podcast. We've had Dax Stadjoar runs an LPL OSJ, and, and there's a lot that's involved there. We wanted to learn about uh, Mark Fujiwara, who's doing a lot of cool stuff on digital marketing. So I'd say FA stories. And then the last thing I would just sort of bucket it as is like almost like a catch-all, like things that were just a, a rabbit hole we go down or something interesting. Like example, we had a couple professors on, you know, one Daniel Crosby, who is like a behavioral finance expert who writes the best books, in my opinion, on it. You know, we had my MBA professor who's a statistician who consults with the Dallas Mavericks and the, and the, and the New York Knicks. We've had Colby on there. You know, we've done stuff on team culture. So just this like bucket of things that like, hey, you know, we're interacting in our day to day with these financial professionals. This topic comes up like, let's go down that rabbit hole and find out someone interesting to talk to. So I hope that wasn't too long winded. That's kind of how it's evolved. Yeah, that's I love, love that, too. I'm th even a couple of those names or the subjects that you touched on. I can I can recall back to interacting with advisors day in and day out when you would get that random question being like, well, do you happen to have something on this? And to be able to say something like, oh, you know what? If you're interested in like behavioral psychology and finance, I would highly suggest Dr. Daniel Crosby. And here's an episode where I think you might like. Um, exactly. So absolutely. Those are yes. And having that information accessible. One question I did want to pick your brains on because of the focus on practice management and having such a wide range of guests and topics. What was there a specific episode or topic that once that once you finished recording, you were just like, man, I'm viewing this completely differently or something like, man, I had absolutely no idea that this was the case. Can you recall any of those? I, Steve, I, I see your head nodding. Yeah, I, I will. The first thing I'll say is if, if that doesn't happen in an episode, I'm kind of disappointed because that's really where we want to get to is someone who makes us think. And that's happened so many times. The one that jumps out to me uh, immediately um, is Julie Littlechild. So she came on and talked to us about referrals. And so much of that 
you know, the industry commentary on referrals is like, well, let's just figure out how to ask in a better way. And just, she totally took that premise and blew it out on its head and said, okay, well, let's, let's, let's just say, and let's, let's find out to all these different ways potentially to think about how you can generate more referrals that, that aren't just asking better. So Kurt, I don't know if you, one that jumps out to you, that that's one that immediately jumps out to me. I, I mean, I've listened to that episode myself probably three times because it was so good. And the, is there's that so where we're getting all our downloads from? Is it you? They're, they're all like... from Atlanta. They're all me. Uh-huh. <laughs> He's got 12 uh, burger phones that he's just getting the, uh, getting raking up the downloads for. Uh, no, I mean, we, we went through a, a great list. Um, Penny was fantastic. Dr. Crosby, my client, um, Brian Doe, talking about the Colby stuff. Like, that was that was great. Um, the list, or, or my buddy Robbie that talked about culture. So just conversations that uh, we, we never would have expected. But when we know, so... <laughs> Side makes fun of me. Um, I use the word banger, like like a big hit, right? Like yeah. basically every every song like Bon Jovi's written is a banger. Um, so <laughs> when we get done with recording, and it will either text it or call and be like, "Yeah, that was a banger. That was a um, banger." Yeah, and, and, a, and a good chunk the... of them are good. So you want to be able to celebrate that. That's that's what makes this stuff fun and and worth doing. So hopefully, everyone, that was a good overview of both shows. You know who our audience is, what we're trying to achieve. Let's take a break now. We'll come back and we'll do some uh, some fun questions we think you all enjoy. We'll be right back. Well, Kurt and Steve, appreciate you giving me the chance to highlight my show and, and certainly enjoyed hearing more about yours. Let's get into the topic that we wanted to discuss because this applies to both of our audiences and maybe in the most relevant way possible, which is day in and day out of any wholesaler and advisor interaction. So for this segment, we are going to cover the things that wholesalers wished financial professionals knew. We're going to go through each of our thoughts, some anecdotes. I can also say that <laughs> this one was a ton of fun to do some crowdsourcing on when I, yeah. when I, when I sent out the text to a handful of my friends that are practicing yeah. wholesalers, I got some quite interesting responses. Um, some that we probably won't be able to we share on the podcast. <laughs> so, um, why don't not, Kurt? Why don't we start with you? What's one thing that comes to mind when you think about things that wholesalers wished financial professionals knew? Well, uh, this might not be universal, but I think for the most part, being an asset holder is not the same as someone actively doing business or sales with your firm. So, I mean, if you've got millions and millions of dollars, but you haven't done business in five years, that's a different conversation than someone that is actively allocating to your products. I think that gets missed sometimes. It's a shame. You know, I, I sort of feel like that's a that's something our side of the industry needs to solve. But it's, I don't disagree. At this, at this point, mm-hmm. it's it's not solved. Some shops go strictly off AUM. Um, they just they remove gross and net altogether. And it's just AUM based. Um there might be something to that, but I don't think the majority of wholesalers are, are compensated that way or think that way. Yeah, exactly. That that topic, <laughs> client size and prioritization happens for the advisors as well, right? Like if if they're one of their smallest clients that has assets with them as an advisor makes a massive request or needs you to spend money on a big event, right. how would how would you as the financial advisor respond in that case? But you right. do you do bring up a, an interesting point, which no idea if this is known or not, but most wholesalers are compensated primarily on gross sales in any given calendar year. 
that differs certainly by firm to firm. But there is absolutely a degree of either recency bias or what have you done from me lately on the wholesaling side, which obviously we would never really outwardly, outwardly share that. But you have to keep that in consideration when you think about time spent, budget allocated to a given year, and how you'd like to partner with any given financial advisor throughout the course of a year. That's it. When you're when you're thinking about like your budget dollars, oftentimes it's like you have this forward looking mechanism and this backward looking mechanism, right? Like who has done business and where am I trying to get business? So you're constantly straddling both the future and the past. Steve, how about you? Anything that comes to mind when you think about a something that a, a financial advisor or financial professional should know about wholesaling? I, I came up with three, and one of them's. Uh, I, I have a. There's a chance I can go on a tangent, so I'm like, sure I save it? But I'll just throw this Let one it rip. out here. What do you, yeah. do you, what do you um, go? You use the term um, banger before for episodes, but do you have any any run on <laughs> tangents that you? Yeah, you I, call? I don't know about a banger. I, I just will say, like, there is a view that all wholesalers are the same, and what they do is this. And here's what my experience is going to be. And I think you made a comment earlier in our conversation about an individual that was talking about narrowing down. The, the number of relationships they had. That's at the firm level. That's also at the wholesaler level. And this gets into the comment of what a next generation wholesaler looks like. There are some wholesalers that come in and have a shiny fact sheet that shows five stars and has 10 years and, and doesn't really know much about that investment more than just the talking points. And wow, it looks good. And then there are real investors, real wholesalers that like absolutely know when to invest in their product, when to add, sell, know the know the the depth there. And it's the same thing with value adds. There are wholesalers that, you know, to some degree will use it. And then there's wholesalers that are ultimately involving into like consultants and really adding value. And I just think um Financial professionals do a disservice when they when they think like, oh, it's all the same. They're going to come in. They're going to force this conversation that I don't want to have. And I think I think they're missing out in that regard. Yeah. Perception of product pushers. The next generation of wholesaling, I think, hates the slimy sales perception hates it. that yeah. maybe preceded their, you know, the last like 25 to 40 years of, of like wholesaling. So consultant focused or practice management focused. I think that's where there should be hope and optimism for what those partnerships between advisors and wholesalers could look like. What about you, Dan? What about one you brought to the table? One that I thought about that just, I, I would always laugh when this would happen as uh, when I was a wholesaler, particularly when I was doing like retail, uh, retail wholesaling. I'd spent some time doing institutional wholesaling as well. It's kind of like a 50-50 split. So very different cadence. But wholesalers don't have portfolio managers on speed dial. <laughs> and it's not the portfolio manager's role at the asset management firm to be replying to inquiries from financial advisors. Like mm -hmm. there is not meant to be a direct line of connectivity, nor should you expect that for someone who's out there running a portfolio? So like a great example, if you've got a portfolio manager that's managing a $20 billion fund and then X, Y, and Z financial advisor with $500,000, <laughs> like yeah. that's not going to get them any more information than what the wholesaler can provide. I thought it was funny how like emotionally charged some people would get when they couldn't get access to the portfolio manager. And I'm like, you're not going to. That's why client yeah. portfolio managers exist or strategy specialists like you're not going to text the portfolio manager on a big fund. So that one was interesting. And a few folks that I had reached out to had had said that. Um, besides that, when I did crowdsourcing, one common denominator, and I, and I would be curious if you have either of you have good stories on this. Be considerate of a wholesaler's travel calendar. Like if you're going to cancel a meeting, 
at least give a at least 24 hours in advance. And I don't mean that to be like, oh, wholesalers are so important. It's more so that when wholesalers prepare for their own trip, that typically involves a lengthy period of travel, whether it's by air, plane, train, car, whatever. The worst moments are when you're driving somewhere and it's like a three hour drive. And then 25 minutes before you get there, you get a text or a call that's like, hey, I can't do it. You just, it's, it's such a gut punch. Just a little social awareness. That's all, that's all I'm asking for. You know, understand a little bit better what, what we do um, and, and realize we're people. This is going to transition to my second one. I'm going to link the two, which is that we only have a certain number of relationships that we can visit with or, or manage ourselves. In the same way a financial professional can't manage a thousand relationships on their own. It's the same thing on our side. And I say that because sometimes you know, they'll cancel and they'll say, well, you know, you're going to see somebody and they're like, well, aren't, aren't you seeing 10 other people in my office? It may be that I am, but it may be that you're just an important person mm, yeah. that I'm going to see. And this cancellation, actually, I'm, I'm going out of my way to make sure that I develop our relationship. Yeah. Like an office walk around. That's why people think that, right? They, you're in the office yeah. and they just, they just assume that, oh, Steve, Steve and Curry are in the office and like their goal is to go knock on doors, shake hands. Kiss babies, no. just squirrels, sprinkles, sprinkles of everywhere. <laughs> well, let me make sure that I make it get, rain mark my sheets. territory versus the whole yeah, <laughs> yeah for, mark my territory with fact sheets before the next wholesaler gets in the office. <laughs> but like I, that's just a thing that's probably not happening as much anymore, yeah. right? Like, like not everyone in that office might even be a prospect for you. It's more just an observation about how some of these like legacy business practices are probably like shifting and changing. You could now spend a day like going to three different folks that are gonna maximize your potential sales or relationship management, and then take the rest virtually or just do calls. Like you don't have to go in and see everybody. Well, and a lot of this might come across as as complaining. Um, and so first of all, wholesaling is one of the best jobs in the world. Amazing. So that, that's oh, totally. That's, that's why we're not true. The love of the game. That's why we're doing it, right? It's not. Absolutely. If you, can, if you but, complain about something, you have passion for it. Yeah. Yeah. but But, I also just want to like another sub thread here is at least I approach it and I'm pretty sure sides the same way. And a lot of the folks that we work with, we really are here. We're here to serve first and sell second, right? That's, I think that's an important distinction. So, um, I mean, I'll just foreshadow like some of the questions that need to be asked or, or you need to be asking about value add stuff that truly is the kind of servant wholesaler approach is, um, it's pretty pervasive at Touchstone, and I. But I think it's it's becoming more and more of that throughout the whole industry. It's not just come across, slide a slick across the desk, and expect all this. Like that's just ridiculous. Servant wholesaling is a is an awesome expression. How long did it take you into your wholesaling career to really feel like comfortable with that? Because usually, what's strange for wholesalers is you kind of get trained and you you get brought up to just be like. Well, you're there to sell product. I may be wondering if you had any experiences or even if it was just like a certain time where it clicked to you that you just said, this is the way, like servant wholesaling is how it needs to be. And like, this is why. I'm really fortunate um, because my background is not of the typical wholesaler. I came from a, a team called our investment specialist team, which is a product specialist team, but also handled the value adds. And what what was helpful for me was I watched and traveled with like a lot of different wholesalers and did a lot of different meetings and saw a lot of different approaches. And the people that I thought were doing it, you know, 
really well were the people that took that approach. And so I said, okay, I've got this, this background. That's what I'm going to take into, into wholesaling. So I, I entered in with that philosophy and I, I've also been blessed that, you know, our firm has taken that philosophy. The people that have, that I grew up with in, in our company are now leading the company. And those are the people that have also taken that approach. So, um, it was a very organic thing with me and a little bit of luck is what I would say as well. Just be just being able to see it and saying, okay, I see this person and they're, you know, they're doing nothing wrong with it, but they're doing the omelet cart and the fact sheet. And this person who's spending half a day planning and helping someone with their business, that one seems like the right approach to me. It just mm -hmm. occur, it just it seemed that way to me. Yeah, and that's the beauty of wholesaling is there's no one way to skin the cat. Yeah. Um, my my conclusion is very similar to sides, but my path was different because I had an international wholesaling background pre-Touchstone, and I had never had a U.S. client. So I come to Touchstone 2017. It's very clear that practice management is in the ethos of the company. It's like, I don't know any different, and I want to be successful, so I'm just going to latch on to this. And so my first full year, we, we do these practice analysis. We call it PAR. No one brought in more PARs than me in 2018. And so I was I was serving like crazy. But it took two or three years to, to get to your fundamental question to understand better the, that dynamic of how much can I give before I have to cut ties. Um, how you just kind of have to make sure that you're moving at a similar pace with the time and effort that you're providing right? and the business opportunity. We're all business right. people at the end of the day. That took a good two, three years to, to sort out. And it's still a work in progress. You still don't have it right all the times. But that's why I say if you serve first, like that's just a good default. Yeah. That almost ties into like another thread, like a sub thread of some of the comments that I got back from folks when I asked what they would want professional financial advisors to know. And a lot of it has to do with like their own business. Like the more the more that a wholesaler understands the growth and ambitions of the advisor's firm, then you can, as a wholesaler, truly serve them. Then you know when it's relevant to possibly give them product information if it makes sense. You also know how are you how can you support their marketing goals or did your past events work out for you? And if not, is there anything that I can offer that would get you more traction from your prospective clients? All of those types of things where you could really like actually serve them. Yeah. And I'll make one more comment on this. It, it, you People can tell very, very quickly if you're authentic, you know, where the goal should be like, wow, I really helped somebody. And if to me that, that the business comes when you do that, like you, it just does. Um, can I throw one more separate thing at you on this one that I, that just occurred to me, my last one on this? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Um, you want to, you want, I know you're going to like this one, Dan. You want to generate really good karma. You want to put like something really positive uh, in the universe. Um, when when an internal calls you, treat them with dignity and respect. Um, give them a minute of your time. That's a hard job. Being an internal is a hard job. It's people just grinding and making their way in the business, and to to just be you know kind and and give a little bit of your time and hear someone out and even be a little bit of a mentor. You have no idea what that does to the people that are calling. So humanity, bro. <laughs> yeah, I wish if we had like a sound bite to just do like the ding, 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 or just the, the casino winning for a comment. That's mm. yeah. If an internal can go gather that information, absolutely let them be a part of that process. Empower them. And glad you brought that up, too, because it's and if any any advisors listening that hate getting the phone calls, it's not the it's not the internals fault. Not, yeah. It's definitely not the internals fault. Well, they have a mandate. Yet. 
They have a mandate. They're just doing their job. Come up with a process, some sort of screening process. Look, I don't have time today. I only talk to wholesalers when these criteria are met. You know, A, B, and C. One of the best gifts you can give to a wholesaler, which is the same thing for financial professionals and their clients, is getting to know more quickly. So if the answer is no, cool. We don't need to waste our time here if if we're uh, just in the product space. But there's there's not many, but there's fewer than five folks I've run up across. They say, look, thanks for, for thanks for your email. Don't need to reach out. If if I were a touchstone asset holder, we, we would have a conversation, but I screen on my own. Nothing you can say can influence me. I'm not interested. Cool. I know I don't need to call that person. Or there's a guy who once a year, he's like, this is my process. This is how I screen. If it's interesting or run some hypos, I do it in January every year. Great. I can fit into that process. And in fact, I really enjoy helping people develop that process because then, you know, touch note, we can get in there and keep other people out, but it gives, it gives financial professionals time back rather than answering every call from an internal or an external. Well, so, so let's pivot and kind of like offer, offer advice, right? Like get down to what, what questions should financial professionals be asking wholesalers? One question you could ask is to a wholesaler is what are your best relationships with financial professionals look like? Hmm. It, and I think you can get a sense of a wholesaler's approach. And then you could also get a sense if that's relevant for you. So an example is if I'm a wholesaler that takes approach that like, yeah, I sponsor a lot of events and I'm very socially involved with my clients. And, and, and then you're somebody who really doesn't care about the social aspect. That's probably not an ideal relationship. You get my point. You know where I'm going mm-hmm. with this. It's like it's it's a way to evaluate. I'm back to the same thing before. Like all wholesalers are different, so find ones that could be could be most additive to you. In in that same vein, I I put it more simply, but ask wholesalers, what's your value proposition? You know, why yeah. why good should one. I be inclined to, Very to good. meet and continue to meet with you? Um, Here's what I I like, um, and and I'm very transparent with with folks about this. How do you manage your own money? Or like, what funds do you have money in? If I am a financial professional, it's like, okay, so you talked about all this stuff. Where's your money? What do you own? What are you trying to accomplish with with your assets? And And why? why? Because that could also tell you the depth in which that that they understand investing and why they think the way that they do. I know. I, I'm. I'm shocked. Like that. That should be like a top three question for any financial professional with a wholesaler. And at, at Touchstone, we have a lot of different sub advisors. Asking me what I own is is going to just cut through a lot of the the noise. And if I'm a financial professional, that's what I want to get down to. I want to get down to press tax by asking that question. The stuff that's just done well, you can screen that on your own. You don't need me for that, right? So, what I want to know is the stuff that I should be buying. That, that I'm not, that's probably not going to show up on my I screen. I love those conversations. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like that to me mm-hmm. is much more, because if all you want to do is just screen on what's the best looking touchstone fund, great. Like do it. You you can do that. You don't need me in your office to do that. Well, and we've talked you know? about developing a scorecard for financial professionals to score out wholesalers. Like, okay, so in 2018, you said this was an idea that you were that's really right. excited about. Follow the recommendations. Document it. Yeah. And then see how Follow it goes the over, recommendations. over time to see who yeah. you should actually be listening to. That gets my creative engines running about some of the graphs or charts that we could possibly 
send out one year. Imagine having a regional wholesaler chart and just being like, of all the wholesalers that came in my office today, here's like, or this year, here's like that ranking and here's performance and things like that. It would be yes. very challenging to get, but but phenomenally interesting. What about more questions from you, Dan? Like what, what other things would you have people ask? So a simple question like, what, what are the trends, tools, or you know, technology out there that you're seeing the most successful advisors use? I don't, again, I don't think that's like novel. I'm sure they do. But for any advisors that may just want to find a new source of information, a wholesaler is a really, really good person to ask that question to. Who's better? Wholesalers are fantastic aggregators. That's I mean, right. We, we see a lot. I mean, you know, if we have 20 meetings a week, you know, over time, that turns into some real numbers. So we could get inside of what those, those best teams are doing. If I'm thinking about building my practice, I want to know something that's like tried and true and used by someone who's in a similar shoes as I am, maybe has a similar practice, maybe similar goals. Why recreate the wheel? You know, it exists somewhere already. I'll throw one other question out there and it's, it's kind of starts with a premise. If you start a conversation talking about your business and what you're looking to achieve, so if I said, for example, just right up front, just I'm looking to onboard this new employee, I'm looking to grow 15% this year by these means, I'm looking to, I'm trying to get better here. What can you potentially bring to the table to help me achieve that? Man, does that cut through a lot of, of, yeah. of back and forth because that's all we're listening for too. We're looking for like, is there something that we can do to help you? I, I probably tend to ask more, um, maybe just open-ended question, but my take on that side was just ask, what are your firm's best value add resources? I mean, every asset management company is coming out with all these value add things to get in front of of financial professionals to help financial professionals. So like ask, like, what, what are people using? What works? Um, what's new? What's exciting? The same way that there's noise around, around uh, value adds, there's also, of course, noise about investments. It's like asking the question, like, what are your, what is your firm truly exceptional at? Because having a product lineup with a lot of marketable and sellable investments, like that's table stakes. That's what 50 firms in the industry have. Anyone could put together something that looks good and has a good star rating, and right. The question Watch is, out what for is chart crimes though? That that was of course. in my notes. Chart yeah, crimes yeah. are a real thing. Be very a real cognizant. thing. And, and, and I, elaborate. I, I may have missed this one. You can make good charts that don't tell the real story of oh, what's you yeah. know. Yeah, yeah. That's, just like my podcast being top twenty five percent, right? It's there, just, uh, <laughs> there you go. No, yeah, but this but doesn't, I, that doesn't have any consequences for people's dollars and for people's wallets. So a little bit different, for sure. I think that's a good list, guys. This has been a pretty robust conversation, boys. I like this. We could probably continue it if we needed to. If we ever extended this into a happy hour session, you know, that would be. <laughs> I mean, a, a lot of a lot of how I think it's what makes some of what makes the industry so fun is you get people like we care about these topics. It's obviously part of our day to day. So the conversations can go on forever, and this was no exception. So I, I appreciate you certainly appreciate you having me, and for the for the advisors that have been tuning in. Uh, we wouldn't exist without you. And this industry is the best because of the work that we get to do with you. So thank you for tuning in and, and hearing a couple of uh, wholesalers just chat and, and shoot the breeze on some, some topics that we consider or think about most amongst our friends and our firms. How do you close out your shows, Dan? I just tell people to come back, come, come back as a guest and uh, participate in any future conversations where we might need you. Okay. 
Well, we do what we call the Costanza Corner, where we end the show on a high note. So we all right. share something that's uh, fun, uplifting, something, you know, back to, to sides karma. Just try to put a little karma back in the universe. Um, so if you're listening to The Whole Truth, when we come back, we'll have a Costanza Corner. Stick with us. Thanks, Dan. And welcome back to the Costanza Corner, where we like to end the show on a high note. Let's do that, Steve. So how cool is this? I don't so know plastic, yet. plastic bottle. Well, you don't know yet. I'm starting. I'm gonna, you know, just throwing it out there first. So you know those like crazy, horrible stats that you read, like ocean plastic, if, if it all was kind of put together, would be it's this like a whole mass. island. It, it's just <laughs> like the worst things you could ever hear usually are about plastic. So this, this especially brought me on beat. And it starts like this. A Pac-Man protein that gobbles up plastic and breaks it down could open the door to eliminate billions of tons of landfill waste. So right now, currently, to kind of break down plastic, it's a very energy-intensive, very chemically-focused process. The scientists at the University of Texas at Austin, I'll give a shout-out to Professor Hal Alper, uh, basically created a natural enzyme that can eat plastic. So, so you put it on... And it naturally processed, just kind of like eats it. You Isn't just sprinkle this on like cinnamon out in the ocean and these suddenly these plastic islands so are going to go away? really, the test has been about landfills because I'm sure like, uh, I don't know if they've tested on the, the half-life of plastic is crazy long. Plastics uh, can uh, represent as much as 12% of total waste. They created these enzymes and they eat them, you know? I love it. Isn't that awesome? I, if, I mean, if this works, it sounds awesome. This also reminded me, have you ever seen on Netflix, uh, Fantastic Fungi? Do you ever see that? No. It's a, it's a really like popular, as I'm looking at right now, it's 100% of Rotten Tomatoes, so check it out. But this this reminds me of that because it was basically about how like fungi are like much more um, amazing than people realize. But they put um, these certain types of mushrooms on like toxic waste and mushrooms will eat the toxic waste. What? There's just like, I, to me, I don't know, same type of thing. I mean, it's like super cool to me. Super so. fungi. Love it. Fantastic fungi. Exactly right. 100% of rotten tomatoes. Give it that a listen. That never lesson. happens. Yeah. Thanks, everyone, for listening. We'll see you next time. See y'all. You can find The Whole Truth and subscribe for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. We'd love it if you took the time to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. It helps others find the show. And for more episodes of The Whole Truth, go to www.touchstoneinvestments.com slash thewholetruth. That's touchstoneinvestments.com slash thewholetruth. All one word. Please note that this content was created as of the specific date indicated and reflects views as of that date. It will be kept solely for historical purposes and opinions may change without notice in reacting to shifting economic, market, business, and other conditions. Touchstone funds are distributed by Touchstone Securities Incorporated, a registered broker-dealer and member FINRA and SIPC.